What's up, guys, and welcome to MCS Podcast number 324. Uh, Jeff is out. This is Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson. Jeff is busy working on the transition to warrior life, which involves a lot of work. Uh, But we are working harder than ever before to make that happen, and we could not be more excited. This week, though, I want to talk about something that was inspired by all the chaos of the last few weeks leading up to the election and all the craziness surrounding the election and talk of what's going to happen in January and the fact that nothing is settled yet and All that chaos gets people really revved up. Well, I think it's important to focus on the basics when that happens. And if you want to survive, if you you want to be prepared, that starts with getting early warning of the things you're going to have to face so that you have more time to prepare for them. I'm going to tell you all about that in this week's podcast, but before we do, you don't have to worry about taking notes. You can go to mcsmagazine.com slash 324, that's mcsmagazine.com slash 324, to download your handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet for this week's episode. Okay, are you ready? Then let's talk early warning survival habits. Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. All right, we're back. Once again, this is Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson, who is busy working on the transition to warrior life. And actually, I think right now, this very moment as I'm recording this, he is working on the that Bat Cave meets Honeycomb hideout super awesome warrior life facility uh, that he's setting up. Uh, he did a tour on Facebook. If you're on our Facebook page, you can go to Facebook and look through the videos there and find him give a tour of uh, that facility, which has come along quite a bit since he, he did that recording. But it's so cool. I honestly, I could not, I cannot wait to go hang out in there. Um, this week, though, uh, while we're talking about all the chaos and what we're facing and, and all the, the just the nuttiness of this, the year that was 2020 could not could not have ended more fittingly with a disputed election and everything else and people talking about lockdowns and, you know, the COVID-19 surging and all this other stuff. Uh, it got me to thinking about all of the different daily habits that we should develop, that we should have, so that you have as much warning as possible of potential emergencies that you may need to face. Now, what do I mean by early warning habits? I mean things that you do all the time just because you do them. They're part of your lifestyle. They're part of what you do habitually every day that help you gather the information that will then keep you informed of things that are happening in the world around you. For example... If you're the kind of person who doesn't listen to the news, then you'd have no idea when to expect, let's say, a riot. You'd have no idea why that was coming. You'd have no warning to prepare for it, uh, to maybe, you know, board up your windows if that riot was likely going to happen where you live, that kind of thing. These are all potential emergencies that can arise, and some of them happen really quickly, you know, like the development of a flash mob. You can't anticipate everything. It's not possible to anticipate everything, but if you conduct your life according to certain general guidelines, you can be better prepared for everything. Uh, and I I want to say that when I was in college, I was the least informed and least connected of my entire life because of... I stammer a little bit because I look back at that time and I wonder how I could possibly have been like that. Um, I used to say, if anything important happens, it will break into the soap opera that my girlfriend and I watch. And so that's how I'll know. And 
legitimately when there were like fires and earthquakes in California. Uh, this was in the in the early '90s um, when when the Gulf War happened, when uh, which was also in the in the early '90s. Uh, those were things that broke into the soap opera that I used to watch with my girlfriend. <laughs> In like the lounge or uh, the lounge of her her suite with, with the, where she lived with with her uh, fellow college coeds. So I'm dating myself with these with these references, but uh, that's not the way to live. You really want to be more informed than that. You want to know what's going on in the outside world. But these early warning survival habits are more than just yes, I watch the news. Um, as we're going to learn, there's a lot of things that you need to keep an eye out for, that you need to be aware of. That, uh, And there's a way to do it. There's a right way and a wrong way to go about it. So I'm going to give you five points, five ways to develop early warning survival habits or five habits to engage in, things that you should really make sure that you're doing on a regular basis. Now, these things will not always make you happy, but survival is about dealing with what is. It's about dealing with reality. And unfortunately, the reality of the past year has been very upsetting. When the pandemic first happened, and I want to say that I covered this in a podcast uh, a thousand years ago in the middle of the pandemic when it really got going the first time, but I got really depressed for a while. I did not want the world to be this way. I wanted things to go back to normal. I could remember saying in March, I don't know if I can do this for another month. And we see where that got me. You know, it turned into the entire the entire year. Um, so developing these habits, while they aren't always great for your personal happiness, they are necessary for survival. Survival is not always happy, but it doesn't have to be miserable. And you will be happier and have greater peace of mind when you are better prepared for the threats you face, even though it annoys you to have to acknowledge them. None of us wants to think about going through another lockdown if they do that to us on a national level. None of us wants to think about dealing with things that are bad. We all want the world to go back to normal, and we're all worried about it. And so those things are stressful. But you have to acknowledge the stresses in order to be able to move through them and in order to be able to prepare for them. I know that I talked very quickly. Uh, one of the comments on a past podcast that I did when I sat in for Jeff was, why don't you talk a little faster, pal? And the only reason I get so animated is because I feel so passionately about these topics. Being able to talk with you about these things is is very exciting for me. It makes me very happy. Um, it's one of those things that being able to help people is a really good thing. So uh, let's talk about the five early warning survival habits that I believe you should develop. Number one is... Yes, you should read the news, but specifically, you should be reading news that you don't like. You should be reading news that you disagree with. We're all sick and tired of how biased our news media can be. And it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on, you're not happy about the news media. Now, I happen to lean a little right of center myself, but it doesn't matter. Everybody's unhappy with what they see as the bias in the news media. Well, you need to go out of your way to listen to the news that makes you angry. Listen to the news you don't agree with. If you're a Newsmax guy, you should be listening to NPR. Um, apparently, Fox makes everybody unhappy now, I'm hearing. So I guess you could watch that too, and nobody's happy. Um, you know, you should be listening. If, if you were a Fox News guy, you should be listening to MSNBC. All of these news outlets, you should be looking at them all and then comparing them. Learn to read between the lines. Compare the news you don't like with the news that you do. What is one of them telling you that the other one isn't? What are the things they're telling you that contradict? What is there more evidence for? And in between those lines, if they're leaving things out, 
Why are they leaving things out? What do they have to gain from that? You know, when when two politicians from the same party are arguing about policy, that tells you something about what's going on. It tells you what they really care about. Um, when people on both sides of the aisle are showing you different sides of the argument, that tells you something. These are all important data points. So you cannot just inform yourself by listening to the news of your preference, even though that's very tempting because the news is upsetting enough. So why would you listen to news that's very biased and slanted and makes you angry? Well, often it makes you angry because it's lying about you. You know, we, we tend to gravitate to news outlets that aren't insulting us and telling us we're bad people. So I'm telling you that you need to listen to those news programs that make you angry like that, not only so that you can see what the other side is saying, but so that you can compare. You have to be able to compare all those news sources because only your ability to compare these things and use logic and reason and figure out where the discrepancies are, only that is going to really give you good information. Until you have all of that information, you're only getting one side of the story. And even though the side you prefer is probably more accurate than the other side, you're still missing things. You're still missing where the gaps are. You need to see where those are. I know I'm speaking very conceptually because I don't want to use a specific example. We try not to get really political in these podcasts because I don't think this doesn't need to be political. Everyone can apply this information. I know we have people on both sides of the political aisle and in the middle and off on the fringes that that listen to our program. We want to help all of you. We're not interested in how you voted. We just want you to be safe. We just want you to be prepared. So point number one is read and listen to and watch news that you disagree with along with news that you like so that you can compare them all, see where the gaps are, find and identify patterns. Another important part of that is point number two, and that is you should be reading and watching and listening to international news. Uh, There were some stories that they covered in Australia on networks that they didn't cover here at all because they were considered too political to touch right before the election. Um, there are always stories like that that the foreign news covers better than the domestic news. And I've, I've listened to people who told me, oh, well, the BBC is so much better because they're so much more objective. No, no, they're not. They're, every news agency has its biases. The only reason the BBC comes across to some people as more objective is, again, because they're covering stories that our domestic news doesn't want to touch. But there's another reason that you should be uh, looking at the international news. And that is because... Trends move globally now. We are an interconnected world. And if a disease breaks out overseas, like COVID-19, the first warnings we got of that came from news overseas. The same is true of any number of other phenomena, uh, types of terrorism or any other threats, uh, uh, emergencies, storms. You know, storms move across the the face of the world uh, in different ways, trends in, in the weather. There are all kinds of things that you will get warning of if you pay attention to the the international news that you might not notice in the domestic news. And I know I like to tease my Canadian friends. I have quite a few of them. I like to tease them because we, I like to call them America's hat, which I realize it's just a joke. Please don't get offended. I like Canada a lot. I've been there quite a bit. Um, but Canadians seem to be very involved in following our news. And Americans generally are not terribly interested in Canadian news. And I think that's a mistake. I think it makes more sense for us to know what's going on in our neighbors to the north and in the governments and the politics of our neighbors to the south 
You really want to know what's going on internationally, but more importantly, also overseas, because there are a lot of things happening overseas that can have powerful impact on us. You will never notice those things early if you do not read international news. Now, that brings me to point number three, which is that you need to be looking for product shortage news uh, all the time, because what is prepping? Prepping is not just having a strategy. It is also having supplies, having uh, stockpiles of things. Well, how do you know what to stockpile beyond the basics until you know what there are shortages of? I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I consider myself a very prepared guy. I have all kinds of stockpiles and, and, and stored uh, materials. I had no idea I was going to need gallons of hand sanitizer. But beyond that, I had no idea that toilet paper was going to become the thing that was in short supply. I was making a, a mad dash to the grocery store to get supplies, uh, like, you know, things like bacon and bourbon and, you know, everything a growing boy needs to get through a lockdown because they were talking about locking us down because of the pandemic. I was one of the first people to wear a mask when I went to the grocery store. The last time I ever went to the grocery store before the lockdown came down in my state, I was one of the few people wearing a mask, and I, I got some comments, you know, and then all of a sudden masks were the thing. I, I didn't wear it because of any kind of virtue signaling. I didn't wear it because of any of the political arguing about masks. I wore it because overseas in nations like uh, China and Japan, they have a long history of wearing masks when people are sick. And I figured that was the one thing I could do to try and prevent myself from dying from the pandemic because I've got some underlying health conditions. If I catch this thing, I probably die. Or maybe that was true then. It seems like we've gotten better at treating it. But anyway, the reason I bring all this up is because uh, my girlfriend called me while I was at the store and said, hey, you need to pick up toilet paper, buy toilet paper. I'm like, why? Are we out? She said, no, uh, so-and-so at work said that people are buying up toilet paper like crazy. If you don't buy it now, you're not going to be able to buy it later. Now, I realize that that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a vicious circle. The way to create a shortage is to tell people there's going to be a shortage. Then everybody goes out and buys it. Other people start buying it because other people are buying it and they don't want to be left out. Suddenly, there's nothing on the shelves. Uh, that's what happened with the toilet paper. Well, let me tell you, I got toilet paper stockpiled now. If we suddenly went through another shortage of toilet paper, I'm going to be okay. My family's going to be okay. If you aren't stockpiling for those shortage, uh, those shortage items, you're never going to be able to overcome those, let's call them dead periods where you can't get something. Those, those always go away. There'll be a shortage of something and then more will come in. You know, the, the supply will struggle to meet the demand because there's money to be made there but there will be those blank spots where you can't get that thing. Uh, just a couple of weeks back, I was in the grocery store and I noticed that there was no paper towels anywhere. I since have read some articles about the fact that there were supply chain issues specifically with paper towels, which are a staple of most households, blah, blah, blah. So I never would have thought paper towels are the thing that we're going to be in short supply, but they are. Soap, just soap for washing your hands. That was really hard to get for a while. The soap department was completely cleaned out at the local grocery store. Now, we've done entire podcasts on how you find alternative sources for hard-to-find items. That's not my point here. My point here is you should always be looking for product shortage news, but also to the foreign press for advance notice of product shortage news. What do I mean? I read an article about the fact that surgical masks were selling out in the United Kingdom. It had never occurred to me to buy surgical masks. I had none. I never thought I was going to need them, but when I saw that, I thought I should buy 
some disposable surgical masks while there's still supply available. A friend of mine who has an organ transplant, actually, he has a kidney transplant, he tried to buy actual full-on N100 respirators. Those orders were canceled because the inventory had already sold out. And right about the time that I was thinking I should buy surgical masks, I had gone to the hardware store to buy dust masks for some stuff that I do in my workshop. Uh, I work with Kydex, which is a thermoplastic. You don't want to breathe the dust from that when you're grinding it. So I would buy the N95 uh, uh, particle respirator masks. And suddenly they were gone, but not just them. All of the dust masks everywhere were gone. People were buying up any mask they could. Well, why? Because news of the shortage had reached our shores. All of those things were early warnings, and I was able to get what I needed just ahead of when everything was completely gone because I had those early warnings. I knew, okay, I need to go on eBay and buy myself a box of uh, respirator masks. I need to make sure that I have that. Uh, I need to buy a few extra. Well, the soap thing I didn't anticipate. That just went away. Since that time, whenever I buy things, I buy a few extra soaps and a few extra paper towels, a few extra toilet paper rolls, put them away for later. Uh, and this is something that you should be doing out of habit. Um, we don't want to believe that we can walk into a grocery store in the United States of America and look at empty shelves. But for the first time in the United States, everyone was faced with that reality. I took pictures for posterity and also for use in our publications. The picture that is in the graphic for this podcast is one of the pictures I personally took. That's not a stock photo. That empty meat department was in a supermarket where I shop. And I went there and there was no meat on the shelves at all. Well, there's like one or two little boxes of whatever was left over. It's interesting to see the things that get taken last like when the stores were getting cleaned out of shelf-stable items, things that can sit on a shelf without refrigeration and not go bad, I noticed that the gluten-free pancake mix, there was always plenty of that. So it's always interesting to see what people go for. Um, when you are looking at product shortage news, then you need to change your lifestyle. It should change how you shop. Um you know, when if you're not keeping more meat on hand in your freezer now than you used to, then you haven't learned. If you don't have some spam put away, and I do, then you haven't learned because uh, the supply chain broke because of COVID-19. There were meat processing plants that were going to shut down. I believe the president issued an executive order keeping them open as... Uh, under some provision for, you know, things that we just can't let stop working because then the whole country breaks down and feeding people is one of those things. Uh, it, it, it wasn't just panic buying. Yes, panic buying explains a lot of it. Some of it was simply that there was not food to meet the demand. And, and these things kind of go hand in hand. Panic buying, increased demand, shortages, they're all part and parcel of the same thing. Point number four, though, is because of all this, while you're keeping an eye out for shortages, always overbuy and resist the urge to think things have gone back to normal. Uh, during the pandemic, people started buying any survival gear and supplies that weren't nailed down. Uh, the survival food companies had a backlog that went for months. It was insane. You couldn't buy dehydrated survival food to save your life. Uh, the the survival products that we're always telling you about, the things that we think are useful, useful, people were buying those like they were going out of style. They were afraid. And when people get scared, they buy things, and that's understandable. But when things get back to normal, they ease off. They let the stockpiles diminish. They're like, well, I guess I better start drinking those eight cases of bottled water I have tucked away in my pantry and, you know, kind of 
back off a little bit. Well, don't do that. Uh, you should resist the urge to think things are going back to normal. If you're not stockpiling food and toilet paper and other items that sold out during the pandemic, why aren't you? Uh, if there's a second lockdown, those things are going to go away again. Uh, and I'm not saying get insane. And I certainly am not encouraging the kind of behavior that saw people buying far more than they were ever conceivably going to need. And I know there's a lot of articles floating around about how, well, if the average person uses a square of toilet paper, then you've got enough toilet paper to last until 2024. And that was really underestimated the amount of toilet paper coverage a single square of toilet paper gets you. I don't, I don't understand that. I really don't. It's that weird urge. Um, but you should always buy more than you need so that you have a rotating surplus, so that you always have kind of a slush fund of the things that you use all the time. And I, I mean all of your staples, uh, any of the things that sold out during the pandemic, we, we got a real window into what people consider important, what people consider staples that they cannot do without. I mean, can you go without toilet paper? Yes, you're not going to like the solution. It involves keeping a bucket and a washcloth in your bathroom so you can wipe your butt with the washcloth and then rinse the washcloth out and have a different washcloth for each family member like nobody likes that nobody nobody likes thinking about those things but you can do it so see what people buy see what people are inclined to overbuy uh when they are afraid and then you buy more than you're going to use this week so that you're always building up a stockpile. Another thing to consider, though, while you're overbuying and resisting the urge to go to normalcy is also you should be investing in certain equipment. I use a CPAP machine like many, many Americans. My CPAP machine has uh, a reservoir for distilled water. You use distilled water because then you don't get a, a mineral buildup that harms the machine. Uh, and without that CPAP machine, I cannot sleep well uh, and over time, if you don't sleep, it will actually hurt you. Uh, you'll actually hurt your organs if you're not getting enough oxygen while you sleep. So this thing is very, uh, very important to my ongoing survival. I also spent the money to buy a very expensive battery for it that'll run the machine overnight so I can get a night's sleep if there's no power. You, people do that for camping and stuff too. But distilled water turned out to be one of those things that was really hard to get for a while. And I got worried that I wasn't going to be able to get it. So I started looking up, how does one distill water? And you can distill your own water, but it's a long, annoying process. What I ended up doing was I bought an alcohol distiller. It looks like a great big metal pot, the kind of thing that your family used to steam clams in for the annual Memorial Day clam steam or whatever it was. Um, Labor Day? Memorial Day? My family used to do a clam steam every year, and I can't remember whether it was Labor Day or Memorial Day. Anyway, uh, I bought this device, and if you don't put alcohol in it, you don't put the, the fixings for alcohol in it, all it is is a way to distill water. It is, uh, you, you put the water in, you boil the water, it collects the steam, it uh, dribbles that steam back out as concentrated water, you have just distilled your own water. Now, was it expensive? Yes, it was not something I wanted to spend money on, but I did it out of out of fear. Um, so if you invest in the equipment to get you through things like that, you won't have to do it again. Like if we have another lockdown, I have that device. If it ever becomes the case that I cannot get distilled water, I now have the ability to distill my own water. I'd rather not, but now I have that means. So overbuy, resist the call to normalcy, and invest in equipment that will help you get through shortages and other emergencies. And that is point number four. Finally, point number five, and this is the, the last point, the last habit you should develop, 
Periodically, you should gamble. And I don't mean you should play the lottery. I mean, you should see news articles that point to possibilities for the future. And then you gamble on that that might happen. So what do I mean? Here's a great example. Remember the murder hornets? The murder hornets were going to happen. And then they just didn't. Where did they go? Nobody knows. But for a second, we were being told that these murderous killer bees that, that just, they murder people, they're Asian murder hornets, we were told that they were going to be a problem. And I thought, okay, because and my mind was very much in the shortage mindset right then. We were right in the middle of that. I was very stressed out about shortages for a while, about providing for the people I care about. I spent a lot of time and a lot of money going out and trying to find the supplies that I thought we would need. So murder hornets, I thought, well, if the murder hornets come, there's going to be a big run on bee spray, those pressurized canisters that you use to kill bees and wasps from a distance. Um, I'm allergic to bees, so this was near and dear to my heart, uh, and I bought a case of bee spray. <laughs> I now have a case of bee spray that I'm not going to use. The murder hornets didn't come, and unless they do, I've got a lot more bee spray than the average recreational homeowner needs. Uh, is that a bad thing? No. I mean, yeah, I spent like 50 bucks on bee spray, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not the end of the world. It was money I could afford at the time. I realize not everybody can, but... You know, if you can afford it, gamble on those future eventualities and you'll be equipped when you see the potential for a shortage coming. I'm glad the murder hornets didn't come, but if they did, I was prepared. So always look at the news and look at clues in popular culture and in media and say, okay, if I'm going to gamble on something happening in the future, what would I be investing? What would I need to buy to gamble on that happening? And that is a great example. There are others if you if you want to stop and game them out in your head. Um, when I bought my CPAP machine battery, I was gambling on the possibility of blackouts becoming a real problem. I was worried over the summer that with everyone locked up during the summer and at home, they were going to be using more power than ever before, and blackouts were going to become a bigger problem than they have been. So I figured I was going to hit that eventuality where I couldn't sleep at night because my, my CPAP machine would not be able to run. So I spent the three or 400 bucks it took to buy that battery. These are not, you know, we're not talking about your average power bank that you buy off Amazon. This is a really serious battery that is able to run a machine with a, with a humidifier attached that uses a lot of power. Um, and run it for six to seven hours. So you really have to weigh, like, what are the odds? Should I gamble on this? Do I have the disposable cash to gamble on it? And then periodically, you just, you invest in the hopes that, well, not the hope, because you don't, you don't want the killer bees to come, or the murder hornets, rather. Killer bees are something they told. I grew up, they were telling us, the killer bees are coming, the killer bees are coming. I don't know if the killer bees got here and we just didn't notice, but now the murder hornets are a different kind of evil bee. Uh, and I don't know, maybe it's just a human tradition now at this point that every generation has to worry about some sort of murderous killer bee insect. But anyway, if you gamble on these possibilities, okay, I'm glad the murder hornets didn't come, but I also have plenty of bee spray if I just need to kill some bees. And I have had uh, bees in the house that I had to get rid of. So everybody deals with that from time to time. Weigh the odds, weigh the possibilities, and then invest what you can. All right, I have rambled on long enough. I hope that you will take this message to heart and uh, think about these habits that you can develop that will help you develop your early warning survival uh, tip-offs to what's coming so that you can prepare and be ahead of the game when you need those supplies, when you need to have a strategy, when you need to have a survival plan in place.
All right, for Jeff Anderson, I have been Buck Green. Until next time, prepare, train, and survive. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. <laughs>